0: But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on the one cheek, offer your other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will be truly acting as children of the Most High. For He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will all come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Give and you'll receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will be de- determined by the will, uh, The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. And then Jesus gave the following illustration. Can one blind person lead another? Won't they both fall into a ditch? Students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? hypocrite first get rid of the log in your own eye and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye a good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit a tree is identified by its fruit figs are never gathered from thorn bushes and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. So why do you keep on calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I'll show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against the house, it stands firm because it's well-built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. This is the word of the Lord. The things that the Lord has been uh, saying to me through this brief passage of Jesus Explaining this is the ethics of the kingdom, this is what the Father is like, this is what it feels and looks like to belong to the kingdom. It's to love radically from the inside out and our love has no rooting or basis in circumstances. It has no rooting on earth, it has no, no basis in how the per- people in front of us are behaving or how life is going in circumstantial earthly things. The ethics of Jesus are the ethics of being rooted in the Father. They're the ethics of of having your life flow from who God is, which is not seasonal, it's not transactional, it's never earned, it's entirely based on grace. In other words, it starts with this unchanging person of the Father radiating affection and affirmation and acceptance and forgiveness to us in our undeserving state. In our undeserving state without earning first, without performing first. And that then becomes this, this, this fountain or this well from which we drink. And if we get too far from that well, we start to dry up. And so Jesus lays out for us, here's what it looks like to be in the kingdom, to walk in the kingdom, to, to live flowing from the center of, God's, of the Father's affection for you. It, here's what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like you love people when they love you back. It doesn't look like your relationship to others is determined by theirs toward you. It doesn't look like gravity. It doesn't look like nature. It doesn't look like logic. It doesn't look like wisdom according to the world. It doesn't look like what we learned in our homes growing up. Most of us. It doesn't look like what we learned in our schools growing up. Most of us. It doesn't look like what we've learned in our churches growing up. Most of us. It looks like what we've learned in secret with the Father when no one's looking and He unpacks the pain or the sin or the temptation or the distraction that we've presented to Him if we're honest, if we're in those rare moments of of unveiled honesty where He responds to our brokenness, to our pain, to our fear, to our aspirations with kindness but truth that unveils and unmasks that the Word, his, His perspective is like a sword that, pre, that cuts through our own perception of ourself to the heart of the matter, simplifying things down to past our rationalizations, past our defenses, to get to the heart of the matter and to call us back to a place of belonging in Him and empowering us to be transforming love in the world. And we get too, if we get too far away from that foundation, His teaching will start to be something we should do rather than something that flows from who we are. And so in this story, he gives interesting illustrations. He gives these illustrations. He asks, can the blind lead the blind? That's a fascinating, fascinating question. The answer is, they shouldn't try. Which is really interesting. The whole point of what he's saying is, get your eyes on your walk, not on how others are treating you. That's the summary of this whole section is get your eyes on your own walk, which is flowing from your own intimate relationship with Abba and who he is, instead of orienting your life toward how things are going with others. I've seen for a decade now in church, people getting their mind fixed on the people around them, how others should be behaving and aren't hanging their well-being on how others are doing, how others are treating them, or just behaving in general. And so now they stand in a place of God or Lord. Each of us is a servant of Jesus in one sense. And he's the one issuing the specific marching orders to each person, according to his calling on each life. And when we in our minds start to think this is how they should be behaving, much sometimes we're right, and they're in sin. Much of the time we're wrong and we're offended over something that isn't sin. And when we hang how we're doing on how others are behaving, then we can get offended by things that aren't offensive, at least not to the Lord. Because He's kind to the ungrateful and wicked. And instead of minding our own heart and minding our own calling and minding our own fruitfulness, I've I've seen this for a solid decade now. We get stirred up about what others fail to see. And then in that state, we presume to teach what we're not living and lead where we're not going and call people into a peace we're not experiencing and fix a church or fix our friend or fix a marriage with something that's not flowing from life on the inside. And the call is, because he says, he goes, can the blind lead the blind? And then he says, every student will just become like the teacher when they're fully formed. But notice he doesn't say, every student will become like the teaching. Your influence, they will become like you are, not like you say. So if your focus is on what you say, or on fixing them, or teaching them, you can get the lecture correct. But if you get the life correct, your influence will bring people into life. The whole sermon is called, Mind Your Own Business. Your happiness is your problem. Your unhappiness is your own fault. Even if the reason that you're at fault is by staying in a situation or a relationship or a context that's burning you out, taking responsibility for things you're not meant to carry. That sounded like a hard word. I, I, it doesn't feel hard when the Lord says it to me. It sounds like life. It sounds like priorities aligning. It sounds like heavy burdens that I put on my own shoulders that He didn't put on my shoulders slipping off. It sounds like learning to say no to things that I'm the one who said yes to for wrong reasons. It sounds like simplifying the assignment and coming into the secret place and learning how to drink deeply of His love. It sounds like the thing I need the most. The only thing I really need is what I already have. So he gives these illustrations. Can the blind lead the blind? Well, no, they shouldn't. So your focus should not be on helping the blind. Your focus should be on seeing. Because the teacher will be like, I'm sorry, because the student will become like the teacher, not like the teaching. We are all carrying a deep influence. It's unavoidable. The measure of peace I walk in is the measure of peace I will bring to the environment around me. One thing that I tend to do when I start my work day is clean my office. I have a hard time working in my office if it's not organized. There's something, I don't know why, there's something of a discipline or a spiritual practice in that that feels almost every bit as spiritual as praying to me. I need my external circumstance to be a reflection of where I'm headed internally. But what won't work is for me to let my external circumstances dictate my level of peace. So he gives these illustrations. Can the blind lead the blind? Every teacher will become like the student. Not. I'm sorry, I keep saying that wrong. Like it keeps coming out backwards each time. And then he talks about plank speckedness, which is humorous. It's a funny picture. And, and where he says, when you try to f- help your friend, when you try to fix your, your friend, the first thing to do, what's this? really interesting, he almost implies, first off, you have no business here because you're doing worse things than you're mad at them for doing, that, which is really interesting. You can't even see clearly what's going on with them until you get the log out of your eye, which, I mean, I, that's That's funny. You're worried about some small thing in their life when you have this huge thing and wrong in your life. It's so wrong that you don't even see it. You not only don't see it, you can't see past it. And so it's blinding you to everything else. And so again, the point of that is not, hey, just do do it a little differently. The point is, mind your own business. Because you will influence people to life if you're living in full life, full vibrant life. It won't be able to be hidden. You can't hide it. If it's, if it's operating on all cylinders, you won't be able to keep from influencing. You won't be able to not get people free. Okay, that's a double negative. You will get people free without having to do a lot of that. You don't need to go get a counseling degree. You need to live healthy. Now, The counseling degree just gets you in the door, by the way. I loved how my, PhD, my one of my professors, Hugo Magallanes, he said... Let me tell you the difference between me without a Ph.D. and me with a Ph.D. Without a Ph.D., people didn't listen to what I had to say. The end. That's it. There's no other difference. It didn't teach me anything. It didn't grow me anywhere. It didn't show me anything. It just got me in the door to where now people actually take my words seriously. I've noticed that. The degree didn't give them the wisdom. God did. The degree says something usually about their level of discipline. But the focus has to be on my, your own calling. So like I said, for 10 years now, I've seen this over and over. Someone's not happy in themselves, but they're blind to that. They don't see that. There's a log. They don't recognize. They're just simply not happy. And if you're how many know if you're happy, you'll find reasons to be happy? If you're unhappy, you'll find reasons to be unhappy, even if those reasons to be unhappy are not actually the cause of your unhappiness. There's simply, your outlook determines what you see. Man, I feel like that's not as profound to you as it is to me. Your outlook determines what you see. When When you have hope, you see reasons for hope. When you have no hope, you see reasons for despair. So for 10 years now, and I'm assuming it's been happening my whole life beyond the 10 years, I've seen the cycle of someone who's not happy in themselves, bumps into a community, and through the interactions, finds many reasons to justify their anxiety, their anger, their brokenness, their worry for the future, their pending feeling of doom, their sense that everything must depend on them getting what they think needs to happen to happen now or things are going to keep getting worse. Their desire to have other people do what they believe other people should be doing. But happiness is an inside job. And relationships require high levels of mercy and health to function in. So then they go even more negative because now they find reasons for that negativity. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So that tends to have a a feedback loop of increasing pressure and negativity. It starts to form a vortex that pulls other people in. Now, where you had one upset, negative person who thinks they're there to help, now you have a cluster. Now you have a faction. And the cycle can be broken at any time. It can be broken through confrontation. It can be broken through repentance. It can be, it can be broken as the person just, oh, oh my goodness, and they start to trust the Lord differently. It can be broken any number of ways. But if it, do, if it isn't broken it'll make for a difficult time because you have positive, negatives, and neutrals. Neutrals are influenced. If they're around negatives, they become negatives. If they're around positives, they become positives. But faithfulness and happiness are both inside jobs. And as you steward you into a place of hope and peace and joy, now you're able to manifest the Father in the, in the face of mistreatment. It's not tripping you up. You aren't verbalizing your pain to others to pull them into the sympathy that says, now I feel validated and vindicated, and also you view them with distrust like I do. Instead, you're pulling people into this place of the healing grace of the Father. Now they're actually starting to see the Father as faithful and bigger than these things, like you are. Now they're starting to see that, how, how can I respond with grace and mercy to someone who's wronged me? Now they're starting to see, here's how I can have a a, a physically ill child without having it rob my whole sense of that life is good. Or any number of things that are going on in a broken world at any time. Now the goodness of God is, is a reality that how how I see Him is how I'm relating to Him. And it's not that I'm stuffing these negative things down. It's not that I'm stuffing these negative things down and saying God you're you're good and putting a brave face on it. It's that you've learned how to genuinely relate to God and your inner circle with a level of vulnerability that allows grace to touch those points of need. Because he gives another illustration, the tree and the fruit. It's not about the fruit, it's about the tree. It's not about how you're behaving, it's about how you're believing. It's not about what you're feeling. It's about what your feeling is rooted in, which is what you're thinking. It's not about the fruit. It's about the tree. One of the things that's so important is is that as we move towards, and I think we've been moving this way, and we're still being called this way, as we move deeper and deeper into this thing of being a grace church, then we need even more levels of expectation that everyone around us is going to be a messy person. It's weird to try to be a grace church and a charismatic church because a charismatic church believes in the resurrection, believes in the power of the Spirit, believes in that that we we have a can-do gospel. We can do this thing. There's everything we need for life and godliness. Here we go. And that's all true. But we're at a particular place in receiving and realizing that grace. And so if our expectation is I should be doing better than I am Ministry sometimes can feel like we're trying to fix each other. That in the name of a prophetic word, I'm actually sharing something that should be gently given as a pastoral word. It has no place as a prophetic word. It should be a pastoral word shared with humility. Sometimes our thus saith the Lord should be rephrased, not as a thus saith the Lord at all, but a have you considered this could be happening with the humility to let it go if I'm wrong. So some of these things that about being an empowered, charismatic church, we can sometimes have these ideals of what it's going to look like when we're walking in the joy of the Lord and the power of the Spirit and we're, not, we're going to stand in faith and our, we're going to take every thought captive and we're going to speak life and not death. And I believe all those things. But if we're to be a grace church, then we also have to have the ability to say this is how I'm feeling without having someone say, hey brother, you need to speak life. We need to be able to be imperfect and a total mess today without having people go, I've just lost a lot of respect for you. I thought you were spiritual. Or give us a prophetic word to fix us. And you know me. I'm probably fivefold, prophet is my strongest gift of the five. But how do we walk this thing out heart first? Because it's not about the fruit, it's about the tree. I sometimes hide from you when you ask me how I'm doing. Because I put on myself, not you, I put on myself the idea that if I struggle, that'll make you struggle. That if I'm not constantly filled with in- intense happiness, that that'll mess with your hope levels. That that's just not good leadership. I should always be so strong so that you're allowed to be weak. Because I'm the, sort of like a pillar in this tent, you know what I mean? Like a center post in the tent. And if I just go, the whole tent goes, Bleh. no, Tim, that's false. When I talk to the Lord and I say, why did you put me in this position? I'm way too weak, way too emotional. I've got way too much of an artist personality. You know the artist, the, the, the guy who he makes paintings and, and writes stories and usually becomes an alcoholic and deals with manic depression and has five marriages you know what I'm, the temperament. It's an, art, it's an artistic temperament. I think I read that somewhere that uh, playwrights typically are, an al- are alcohol- prone towards alcoholism. Because there's a certain emotional availability to the world that causes you to feel things 10 times stronger than some people do naturally, that taps you into an experience of life that as you express it, then other people go, Yes, me too, I love that. And so it's a blessing and a curse. What I'm discovering is that every one of us has the soul of the artist. It's funny, you try to give yourself a little, well, it's my brokenness is a unique part of my, my gift. No, everyone's got a gift and everyone's broken. And your greatest gift is not uh, either some sort of melodramatic, like, oh, this is giving me permission to suffer and, and, and fail, or some sort of, i got to protect other people around me from this thing. No, no, no. Your greatest gift is your vulnerability. The real you showing up. First to God. First to God with honest prayer. I mean, read your Bible. The honest prayers are the ones he endorsed, not the religious ones. God, where are you? God, you're failing me. God, you used to rock. Why do you now stink? And yet... I have a track record with you, and I'm not going to back down because I've known who you are. And even though I don't see it today, I refuse to pull away from you. Instead, I'm going to actually knock on your door, and I refuse to back down until you meet with me. I'm not, I, don't, I know an intellectual answer is not what I need. I need an encounter with you. I need a connection with you. You know why I would rather you yell at me than give me the cold shoulder? This is funny. Like I've been in... It, I remember it, I was in an elders meeting and one of the elders was yelling at me and you know, slapping his fist on the table and getting very irate with me. It didn't threaten me at all. What threatened me was when he wouldn't return my phone calls for two weeks. Because what I crave more than anything is connection. Hit me, yell at me, do something. Something that says I love you. Well, how would that say I love you? Well, you know, we're all broken. There's broken ways of expressing things that, but bring the real you. Yeah, but I don't know if you can handle the real me. I don't either. I don't know if you can handle the real me. But if you look in your Bible, the prayers that get God's endorsement, the Psalms, the God, where are you? How long, O Lord? Now, it's not all that way. There's some like I called upon the Lord. And he inclined and heard my cry and he took me out of the miry pit and he set my feet on a rock. I have some place to stand and I have something to tell to other people who are going through the same thing I was just walking through. But, this, but if we're going to if we're gonna be this victorious church we all know, we've been called to be, it actually comes through this gritty place of vulnerability. First with God, and then each other. Well, I can't say that because sometimes you're the ones who call my bluff. Sometimes I accidentally slip up and you see me, and then you call me back to the Father. But, it's so, we, but it has to be with God at some point because that's where the life really, really, really flows. We can, we can see... An, all right, next illustration. Blind lead the blind, students and teachers, speck and plank, tree and fruit... The figs and the grapes. His point is you can't, you can't produce, you can't produce anything other than what you are. I remember, <laughs> I remember sitting at my friend's table and we were having a spiritual conversation. We were talking of holy things. His kid comes up and has a snotty nose and crying about something, and he stops the interaction with me and he turns and he says, Be joyful always. And I just sat there going, I've been saved a month and I know that ain't right. Yeah. you go angrily yell at a kid to be joyful always. Oh, snap. Produce different fruit than I'm producing on command faster than you're doing it or else. Be happy or I'll hurt you. It reminds me of the, the stupid picture of Jesus knocking on the door. It says, let me in. And the person inside says, why? And he says, because of what I'm going to do to you if you don't let me in. It's funny because it's wrong. It's funny because it's actually how a lot of people view the Lord. It's sad and funny. I heard Stephen Colbert say that the way he interacts with his children is he tries to be cold, distant, slightly disapproving. You know, so that they'll learn about God. And then they moved on with the interview. And, of course, he was being funny, which indicates how he really views God is not that way. also indicates that his religious upbringing informed him of something he's still slightly reacting against. And he would say, you're overthinking it, bro. It was a joke. How we see and relate to God is going to bear fruit in how we relate to ourselves and how we relate to others. I doubt, it. I doubt it you're going to find somebody who's really mean to everyone else in their life, but who's kind to themselves. In fact, a lot of us don't even think that the idea of being kind to ourselves is a good idea because we don't want to give ourselves a hall pass to sin even more. Have you ever thought about that? The person who's so mean, just so mean to you, they have to live with themselves. Imagine what hell that is. You can hardly be standing to be around them for an hour. they got to live with themselves. Blindly, the blind students and teachers, speck and plank, tree and fruit, figs and grapes, are treasury, the treasury of our heart and our words. Just like you can't pick a different kind of fruit from a tree than a, or a bush or whatever it is than what it is, he says people, people live and behave out of what he calls the treasury Of their heart. Now that is a fantastic concept for us to meditate on. What is the treasury of your heart? He says, an evil person brings evil out of the treasury of their heart, of an evil heart, and a good person brings good things out of a treasury of a good heart. And then he says, your words, your words are simply an overflow of what's in your heart, which is why Bill Johnson so famously says, If you renew the mind, you do not have to watch your mouth. So, what is the treasury of the heart? That's your homework. Homework question one What is the treasury of the heart? And, homework question two What is in yours? And, how do you get things in there? I'm not interested in how you get things out of there. I'm interested in how you get things in there. Because I figured this out a while back. What you love most will push out whatever you love less. You don't have to fight sin. That's the wrong approach most of the time. In the moment of temptation, fight it. But overall, as a lasting strategy, that's the wrong strategy. Fight it in the moment of temptation, but arrange your life not to fight sin, but to feed love into the closeness with Jesus. Because if you're in love with Jesus, it pushes out every other thing. So what feeds that? If you're in love with him, if you're in love with his presence, if you're in love with his truth, if you're in love with his voice, if you're in love with his purpose, if you're in love with his design over your life... If you're in love with the work he's assigned to you, not just in your whole life, but in the specific season you find yourself now because it changes, if you're in love with him and his presence and his word, if you're in love with his people who are following him that are spurring each other on, the treasury of your heart will begin to produce different things. The teachings of Jesus will no longer look like a list of things that we should be like. Gee, we should do these things. We should, we should do... No, we should do that. We should do that. What did you say that one teacher, the one school administrator said? And also follow the golden rule. Do what you're told. And, and Israel's like... Uh, that's not the... Okay. <laughs> Close enough. That's the golden rule. Do what you're told. I, I'm, I'm still, I'm still kind of captured by that. What Stephen Colbert said: treating your children, you know, cold, de- emotionally detached. Have you noticed that as you grow, as you age, everyone your age is still young? Like no matter, it could be like he could, like, could be like 80 and be like, he's an old man. He's 97. He's just a young pup, 72. <laughs> when you <laughs> the other day, Carrie was at the hairdresser, and there was a conversation going over here, and the one. <laughs> One young lady said, and if that, my dad finds out about it, he's going he's gonna to go and beat them up because, I mean, he's 47, what does he have left to live for? And she was like, excuse me, I'm 40. She's 41 uh, tomorrow. And then he has another final illustration. I'm sure I didn't finish a thought, but whatever, it's okay. House on the sand versus house on the rock. And he's saying the same thing again. He just keeps illustrating the point a different way, which is, okay, first off, it's all about what's here. It's all about what's here. What's here, you won't be able to stop what's here from manifesting out here. The one who hears my words and goes away and says, yep, and then sets on this path to I'm going to live this from the heart out. I'm going to live this from the heart out. This, That's me, Just me, just me. Doesn't need to be anyone else. I don't need anyone to go along with me. It would be nice. When I was a brand new Christian, I said, Father, where are the older men who will mentor me? I looked around and I said, I don't see one older man in my local network that's living the kind of crazy, wild, radical worship and mission that I think, think, based on reading the New Testament, should just be normal. I'm not seeing it anywhere that sounds really arrogant and judgmental as I look back on that. Uh, what do you see? You don't know what you see. But the father said to me, no excuses. Get on with it. What I viewed as, I can't do it without someone showing me, he, that's, he just called it as a bluff. Just get on with it. And what's interesting is as you get on with it, you'll find the teachers emerge. You'll find the mentors start to come out of hiding. They weren't hiding. Have you heard it said in the past, when the student is ready, the teacher arrives? It's true. Lord connected me to several men that now I look back on and I say, they are so radical and wild-eyed and crazy, I just don't even know if I can handle the Scoville rating on their... You know what that Scoville rating system is? It's how they measure how hot hot sauce is. Okay. Have you ever been in over your head, but you're too embarrassed to admit it? How's the... How's the uh, homemade salsa there? Says my brother-in-law Wayne. It's good. <laughs> Parentheses dies. <laughs> but Jesus says, if you go away and you focus on this, mind your own business, and steward your own life into a place where this is reality for you, then when the storms of life come and attack you, it will. Here's what it will be like. It, your life will be like a house that's so sturdy and stable. That the storm reveals you're on the rock. But if you don't, then when the inevitable storms of life come, you fall apart, you blame others, you grow into despair, you get in the anxiety in the flesh, you get all freaked out, you start behaving in the flesh because you already were in the flesh, just waiting to be triggered. Because you can't hide what's inside. When when the ketchup bottle gets squeezed, what comes out is not what's on the label. What comes out is what's inside. Remember Keith Green? (laughs) I always loved Keith Green. Such a high-pitched little voice, and his piano playing was amazing, and his passion for the Lord was just infectious. But (laughs) going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. (laughs) And I always thought... I want a hamburger. <laughs> I'm going to McDonald's. You can sit there at McDonald's and be like, you're right, I'm not a hamburger. That's a good word. That's a good sermon. But I don't want to be a hamburger, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a bad idea. But notice that it's the storm's, the storm didn't, the, the, the storm is a friend. This is why they call it a test. The bridge looks real pretty. Let's see what happens when a semi crosses. The point of the bridge is not look pretty. The point is to hold a load. The point of the Christian life is not smooth sailing. It's to be able to manifest Jesus in the trials of life. This is our only opportunity to walk by faith. We got one shot. Billions of years from now, we'll wish we could go back to the hard seasons of this life and be rooted more in Christ. We won't wish out of it. We'll wish we could go back and live out more consistently what we had the opportunity here and now to walk out. No one's stopping you. That's a lie. No one is stopping you. The thing that you think you're stuck in, it's a lie. The the person you think is driving you crazy, they don't have the, the authority to drive you crazy. You have authority to either rearrange your life so that they're not in your life or to manifest Jesus if that's what your assignment is. But they're never your reason for freaking out. You did that all on your own. Don't hear me saying you need to put yourself in the dumbest situation, fill yourself with toxicity, and then behave like you're not. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying take full responsibility for your life and change what you need to change to get into a place where what's inside is what is what is what can be inside now that Jesus has come? Mind your own business. Don't you love that story? John John Peters looking over at John and he says to Jesus, "What about him?" Jesus says, "You're going to suffer, boy." I don't know why Jesus is from Alabama All of a sudden, <laughs> you're going to suffer. Yeah, but what about John? What does that What does that What does that have to do with anything? You follow me. But it's not fair. What does that matter? You follow me. But Lord, there's no mentors. What does that matter? You follow me. But Lord, we've been through too much. You can't ask this of me. Oh, this was me yesterday or two days ago. I just sobbed and I said... You can't ask this of me. How can you ask this of me? And you know what he said? He took my head and he, this was Jesus, not the Father, not the Spirit, this was Jesus. He took my head and he pressed it on his chest. And I sobbed and he just held me. And you know what he said? I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. he He can handle it. And suddenly, in the midst of that connection, I realized that my accusation wasn't really even an accusation. I just, I just needed a hug and a cry because sometimes it's hard. All right, let's shut this down. Go ahead and stand. If you're on the prayer team, can you go ahead and come forward? The best prayers are going to come from this baby. So... <laughs> It's the holding a sleeping baby therapy. (laughs) I was feeling sad, then I held this baby, now I'm not sad. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Father, we thank you so much for the word of Jesus. We thank you so much that you don't treat people, including us, as we deserve. Uh, It's so deeply ingrained in who you are that you never let how we behave change your priorities. Your spirit is not flaky or easily frightened uh, or even easily offended. And uh, you're the least religious person that I know. You're the least anxious person that I know. And yet you're more emotionally available to the brokenness of the world than anyone else. You've not put up your walls, God. And you're inviting us to put ours down. I ask that you would train and teach us for, to, how, do, how do we be a grace church? How do we be a grace church? How do we let others in and regard others the correct way, treat others the correct way when they are presenting something really messy and ugly and even offensive to us? I ask God for more help. We need help. We need wisdom. God, God we ask for, and then specifically with the, the news of today, I ask for the whole Wilhelm family to feel held, to feel held, to feel held. Um, Wrap them in your arms, and especially wrap them in in your arms through people. Let people um, carry them and grieve with them. And we thank you for heaven. Oh, my word, we thank you for heaven. We thank, you for ev- we thank you for the forever of the gospel. Oh, Lord, we bless you. And your people say amen. Amen. amen.